Okay, this is a this is Kenny and Brian. Um, I'm gonna do a slate here. Kenny and Brian talking um, cameras from 2020 and um, what they're working on and how they're working on. Okay, 2020 was a great year for new cameras. We saw new equipment from Sony and Red and Black Magic from 12K to the A7, you know, S3. So there's a lot to talk about here. I would like to, and I hope you don't mind, Kenny. Can we talk about 12K? Let's start at the top of sure. resolution. Have can you imagine yourself using 12K at this moment in your workflow? No, not <laughs> not strictly. Like I, the 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 Blackmagic 12K, I thought you know I think which a lot of people thought was the the thing that made it interesting was downsampling that to 4K. Absolutely. Like the the higher bit depth or the color depth or whatever that deal was. I'm, I'm not a scientist. Um, that I could I could see myself using that a lot. So interesting thing, when I reviewed that camera, I did not, I could not edit 12K footage. Uh, if you all don't know, I have a 2011 MacBook Pro. I have yet to upgrade, and I keep waiting for whatever reason for a newer Mac. Now the M1s are out. Now I'm decided to wait even longer. Um, Wait for that M2. Or the M2, one of those. But um, I had an editor try to do the 12K, and this is a full-blown professional editor, and he ran into problems because 12K is a tremendous amount of information. Yeah. Um, well, yeah interestingly enough, I shot a lot of 4K with that camera. And yeah, I mean... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, like, when I... So I have a C500 Mark II. Oh, and, beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful. It's my favorite. It's absolutely my favorite camera of all time. But yeah. I... Like, 6K feels like a luxury. Like, I shoot almost everything in 4K, and then when... If it's... You know, if I'm doing a really nice commercial or there's a lot of color involved or like I'm doing something real fashiony that like, you know, I, I can afford to only use two. You know, I'm only going to end up using the two cards because we're not actually shooting a ton. Um, then maybe I can shoot that 6K. But I, again, I have a decent computer. It's a one I built myself. It's an i7 7700 overclocked with a 1070 graphics card. 64 gigs of RAM and that 6k raw light does chop up on me. Yeah, I can imagine I, uh, 12 was interesting. The 12k cam, the black magic Ursa mini is they had the color set up where you can take a still shot. And as, and as a DP, um, I could color correct that one still image and, and then I could send that LUT to my editor and that workflow for a lot of people, I think could work. Like, I wish that feature was in the Cinema, fi- the Cinema. Sorry, the Canon C500 Mark II. I don't know if it is or not. Um, um, you can color. So, like, what I've done is, uh, I've done a couple things. One, I absolutely will do. You can load LUTs into the C500. Um, same thing with the 300 and the C70. Um, but what I'll do is, yeah, I'll, I'll take a frame, color it, kick out my own LUT, and use that to monitor. But it won't. Um, be attached to the footage, um, at least not as far as I'm aware. Um, but one thing that I did do, and a little plug for myself, since it's just the two of us, I sell these. Uh, I went and um, I grabbed an Alexa and all the Canon cameras and lined them up with a color chart and then went into the picture profile editor of all the Canon cameras and matched the vector scope to the Alexa response. Mm-hmm. And I 
and I did that uh, for raw and or for log and for um, 709. But I did the 709 profile, so it's and you know I don't know if you've run into this, but just slapping on like a 709, um, a, a a company's 709 LUT, it always looks like crap. It does. It it's does. never like artistically pleasing. So I've made all of my own LUTs there too. But just building it into the picture profile of the Canon cameras, um, I've seen some luck with. If I'm just doing a quick turnaround, I'll just switch to my, you know, Faco Alexa, um, and that burns it in. You know, um, I did shoot the with the Sony FX6 this year. Reviewed it. And yeah. That LUT, the Rec 79 LUT, is actually pretty. It's a touch. It has a touch screen in it. But it's that was actually one of the best, I think, straight out of camera images I've seen out of Sony yet. Yeah. And you know what's funny is like I I'm sure I've been like full disclosure, like Canon had me on their Instagram to do a Q&A. Like I, I'm friendly with a guy in the marketing department, you know, um, yeah. but I do. The main reason why I shoot Canon primarily is because it has a look that more people seem to like but i personally actually like the sort of green sony hard edge looked like <laughs> like for myself but my clients seem to like the sort of beauty look that can that sort of soft warmth thing which i guess also has a lot to do with the lenses but so let's let's rehash let's remember what cameras came out this year because i might miss a couple there was a lot of cameras as there weren't there yeah um we had the C, the Canon C300 Mark III, correct? Yep. The R5, the R6 from Canon. Yep. Sony FX6. Yep. Sony A7S3. Yep. The um, A7C. A7C. C70. That's right, C70. Red Komodo. Oh, yeah, the Red Komodo. That's a popular camera for sure. Yeah. We should talk about that. We should because that that camera. I am. I'll say this, I'm not a huge red fanboy. I've used red, and some of the best images I've shot have come out of red. But I don't own a red, and I don't. I'm not oftentimes faced with a red on a freelance gig. I typically might be with an an Airy or a Black Magic here in Nashville. Yeah. Um, but I get it. I get the the small size. Like the people who love the Komodo may not like the Z Cam. Yeah. No, and I think too, like with red, a lot of it is um, brand. It's branding, you know. Like red coat is sick. The sensors look great. I personally even think the Dragon sensor uh, is probably their best. And my friend who's used red for a really long time, um, he shot uh, a lot of stuff for um, We Are Blood, the Brain Farm skate film. Mm-hmm. Um, his name's James Buckman. He's, a, he's an excellent uh, skateboarding DP. Uh, he shows commercials and stuff too, but anyway, he thinks that the Epic, the original sensor, is their I, the Mysterium sensor is like their best. So they've always had a good image, but um, it's always like the thing around that image is frustrating. <laughs> you know, like 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 the red cameras. Like I I I'm trying to get film tools to lend me their Ranger because I want to review that because I think that potentially could be Red's best camera. Yeah, because it's just got everything in the one body. You know, it's it's. Look at what David Fincher did. He turned. He went to Red, and he's like, "I don't want any of this shit. I want uh, all of it in one body." And they built him the Xenomorph. All the yeah. wireless is built in. The monitors are built in. All that. 
Um, and then they turn around and made the Ranger. I think that so the Komodo is feels like they just went, OK, what if we just gave you red code? Forget mm-hmm. the body, just here's the image that comes out when we use because what sensors in the Komodo? Is it its own sensor? I, I don't know. I um, I don't know enough about red to, to really kind of dive into that because, again, red in this town is just not as popular. Yeah, it's it's in L.A. It's definitely like for all lower budget. And I don't mean like low budget, but like there's a lot of owner operators with reds. See, there are a lot of owner operators here with uh, area LFs. Really? Yeah. And it's Jeez. because of the music industry and um, the image and the beauty that you can make. Um, a lot of anamorphics are shot here. Yeah. Um, and so you get like a Alexa Mini, Alexa LF. Um, and then you start seeing Sony FX9s. And I bet you will start seeing a ton of Sony FX6 coming yeah. around here. Not, and you only see the occasional Canon. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Canon isn't that, like, popular. Documentary, like, but then it, it's either, um, you know, C300 or FX or uh, FS7. Yeah. Let's talk about real quick about the C300 Mark III. You, you tested that camera, didn't you? Yeah. Um. What were your thoughts on that compared to the C500 Mark II? Um, so I did, uh, if anyone's interested, I have a video up on the Owlbot, my company, um, YouTube, but you can also just go to ProVideoCoalition.com, find my article, um, basically the same thing. Article goes into a little more detail and has um, example video that I shot uh, to explain all these tests. I, I tried to be incredibly thorough with that review. Um, because there really isn't a difference between the two. It's, um, I found that I do prefer the look of the C500 and that's going to sound nitpicky when I start to explain that there's almost no difference. Um, but, but when I was coloring through it, I would jump back and forth and I'd be like, oh no, you know, I, I would sometimes get this like not in my stomach when I'm like, oh crap, did I spend $5,000 more and not get something I like. And then I would check the clip names and it would be like, Oh no, I do actually instinctively like the C 500 image better. Great. But it's, it's, you know, it's not that big of a difference when you get into the extremities. Like if you're in super, super crazy low light and you jack up the ISO, um, the C 500 performs better because the noise is smaller and can be corrected out better. The Mm -hmm. C 300, um, if you get super, super low light and jack up the ISO, the grain starts to become very, very thick. And it seems like it has like white centers. Like I described it as rice grains oh, yeah. and, and that doesn't correct out. No, that would um, not. <laughs> and so, and so the bigger sensor does seem to carry more color detail, um, and just more detail in general. So if for Oddly enough, for documentary, maybe you go 500 over 300, maybe, maybe. Um, but the per, the performance is nearly identical. The C300 is a little greener. C500 is a little more magenta. Those were easily corrected out in post. Um, obviously, the 120, um, you know, uh, Super 35 uh, high speed is nice if you're doing a lot of commercials um, or fashion stuff. I could see that being very important. But at the end of the day, like for my work, I never really go past 60. 
ever. Normally it's at 24. And um, the ISO 800, even ISO 400, I've learned, especially between those two cameras, that they don't, I, no camera reads ISO the same way. So it's kind of not helpful to compare, like, that's not apples to apples, even though the number's the same. Yeah. But I, I on the C500, I shoot everything at ISO 400 because there is a little bit of shadow noise at 800. Um, but I don't have to change my lighting setups appreciably. I don't have to, you know, I'm not topped out on any of my lights. Um, and so I do prefer the larger sensor. And also, if you ever shoot anamorphic, the larger sensor, obviously a better choice. But yeah, for most people, like the C300 is, is sick. Um, yeah, even like even when I did the comparison with Strangel, when we did the FX9, the C500, the LF and the Venice, like you it, we were getting forensic with the differences like all cameras those are all really expensive cameras but pick a camera they're all they all look great if you know how to light it and you know how to handle it in post yeah the 2020 has been that year where i think the camera has you can remove it as a barrier yeah creativity i mean that's small enough they're good enough everything's got 4k everything can shoot mostly in some low light um you know with maybe the black magic or so many 12k as as an exception there but um you you kind of can't go wrong no and at the end of the day like it's all about finding good stories and giving them the attention they deserve exactly stories ideas they come from everywhere and people will get an idea and give up on it because they feel like they don't have the means but now you do you can i saw not to stand on fincher all the time but i saw him say like if you have an ipad if you have an iphone you can write shoot and edit a movie on yeah. your cell phone like when i was in college the 5d just came out the red the original red just came out we were shooting on dvx's and yeah, like that looks like crap in comparison to like an iphone did you do the uh the um was it where you try to have like the Super 35 lenses on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The lettuce adapters, like lettuce made one, Red Rock Red Micro Rock. made one. I still have, I did the Red Rock with Minolta lenses. Mm. And I still have um, the <laughs> the lens adapter and the lenses. And so I'm like, hmm, what do I do with these now? But, That'd um, be a fun retro review for the <laughs> video. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> we could, we, but the past is the past. Lens adapters are over. Well, and those lens adapters, people may not remember or maybe weren't around for it. You would lose like three stops of light and your image was flipped. Yes. Yeah. Image is flipped. And then you, uh, I mean, and you didn't have any like LEDs. You had nothing but tungsten or HMI. So immediately you were bringing like two K's or five seventy fives everywhere you went. Yep. Just to just forget shooting inside at, in college. Oh yeah. Totally. So, the top of the Canon C300, which personally I don't have any experience with, but the C, the Canon R5 mm. did review, as with the R6, which I have not posted yet because I am crazy busy with my professional job as a photojournalist. But the R5, this is a camera that had a long run of marketing push of 8K, raw. It seemed like the camera to beat in 2020 and and unfortunately, it landed in kind of a overheat problem at first. Yeah. And I mean, I tested it. Have you tested it yet? No, no, I haven't. Um, 
I actually, after I just got done saying I'm friendly with Canon, I haven't spoken to anyone over there since the C300 review. You know, I haven't spoken to anyone there since the C, the R5. I asked about the C70, and I didn't get shit back. I think they've kind of buttoned everything up. Coronavirus, this is what's going to happen, people. People, businesses are going to kind of get insular and make sure that they're going to be able to survive or keep the bottom lines up. And I think that's happening all over the world, and we should just give them grace. Yeah. Well, I did text the dude about the C70 as well, and I think he said something along the lines of, like, they – they he he personally didn't have any, like, five uh, R5s or anything like that, and I think he said the C70, they only had, like, two. Yeah. So whoever, you know, the influencers and all them are going to get it first. Yeah. What, what can you say? I mean, yeah. we haven't started. I haven't started a YouTube video channel yet. I don't know if I will. I feel like it's pretty I'm, easy. It's <laughs> easy. I'm also pretty busy. This is, uh, yeah. Um, I will say it's R5. R5 is a perfect example of there is more to a camera than the sensor and what it can record. The R5 is by far some of the best autofocus features I have seen to date. Really? Yes. I mean, tap the screen. You know, I, I, I felt like the R5 opened me up for like essentially did the original digital SLR filmmaking, but a lot easier. Mm. Um, I pulled out my old slider, my Cinevate slider. I pulled out all the stuff that I hadn't pulled out in a while because the cameras have gotten bigger. And I was really enjoying um, shooting with that camera, the R5, even though... At 8K RAW, it overheated very quickly, which I've has since been mostly fixed. Um, but also, like we said, like I barely even care about 6K. Like, how often yeah. are you going to be shooting 8K? When do you truly need it? Yeah, I don't really think most. There's always going to be someone who needs it, but I, yeah. I think most people shooting 4K. I think 4K, just even the internal in the R5 is fine, not the mm. HQ. Just the like, I think you and I will sit down to a 4K HQ file versus 4K regular file and be like, "Ooh, I can see the difference." Your client's yeah. not going to sit there and be like, "I can see the difference." Well, and it's also like how you're coloring it. Like you, if you take any image straight out of camera uh, across the board, they all kind of look the same. But it's when you start to massage in the look that you want that you'll start to see where the edges are. Yeah, yeah. So I. If anyone's listening to this, and I don't know if anyone is, the R5. <laughs> they don't give well, us those metrics. Have, yeah, might might as what well, might have been um, poo pooed on <laughs> by some people, but it is worth a camera worth looking at. If you need a second camera on a gimbal and your Canon shooter, I think it is the perfect accessory for you, like sidekick camera that um, you can also take incredible still images with. I was about to say some of those photos that you posted were fucking gorgeous. Oh, it was just like easy. That was that was what was so amazing to me. It was just so easy to use. And that's just stuff around the house. Well, and that kind of highlights something that uh, like so in terms of just the whatever camera you pick, as long as you can get 10 or 12 bit, you know, a good log, you're solid. Um, but I think any. I have found that in my professional life both film and otherwise the times that i was most happy or the times that i felt felt most fulfilled were when the tool disappeared exactly if i never have to think about the the tools and i can focus on the process or the you know the the story or the whatever i'm doing you know anytime 
like what's a good example? We've kind of talked about this in the uh, like gift guide, but like having a crappy chair, like if, if the chair makes you uncomfortable and you're constantly thinking about how you need to stand up and stretch because your chair is uncomfortable, you're never going to get an edit done. Yeah. But if like, you know, if your computer never crashes, which, you know, lucky me, I guess I don't tend to have as many problems as other people, but I also don't edit really long things. Um, you know, my computer works for me. My desk locks me up. Like I, I get frustrated with how small my desk is and that will knock me out of flow. But it's when it comes to cameras, like I know I was just saying the red's kind of frustrating. You know, it takes 30 minutes to black shade or something like that. But it's it's interesting to me that you're saying that the R5 um, and I assume probably other uh, DSLR, DSLMs these days, like kind of just worked for you. Because that's yeah, not something I would normally say about DSLRs in my experience. Like, I like my X-T3, but it still, like, annoys me sometimes. Yeah, so I, I for those who don't know, my, my main gig is as a photojournalist for CBS here in Nashville. And then I'll freelance for CBS occasionally uh, for the network. And a lot of my professional job is carrying a very a large Sony, you know, ENG-style camera, B-format lens. It's a very wide and long lens and very versatile. She's not going to give you the look, that cinema look. It's not going to do it. But, um, but, uh, sorry, hold on a second. Um, you know, working from home, sometimes you're going to get a little interruption, but it's okay. And, uh, and I'm back. Um, <laughs> sorry, wife came in here. I, no worries. It's no worries. I lost my train of thought. But, and so it's a hard camera. The Sony ENG can be kind of a camera that's easy to shoot, it's heavy. So it can also tire you out and can wear you out pretty fast. When I pulled out the R5, which is small, mirrorless, it's I had just the 24 to 105 lens. I was like, you know, on a slider or on a, on a Ronin S, I was like, boom, done. I'm done. Yeah. My art focus is spot on. My image is it's better than that B4 lens and the ENG, and um, I'm done. And that was like what you're, like you're saying. If, I kind of want to send this message out to shooters. If you make, if you start making little compromises along the way, those compromises add up, and your your creativity will be killed by a thousand compromises because mm-hmm. you lose the ability to choose what you want to do. And you know, Greg Fraser once said when I talked to him, it's like, don't let bad gear ruin your life. <laughs> and yeah. it sucks to hear him say it because he's got all the gear he can ever want. And afford, but um, and we all have budgets, and we're not lottery winners, and we have to make choices, and that's what the economies of our lives have to dictate. But if you can find something that's fun to use, you will use it more. Yeah, things that ask you to like gear that begs you to pick it up is so much. It's so gratifying to find that kind of thing. Like when I got the C 500, even when I got the C 100, cause I was like, I was coming off an AF 100, which was a little, not this way, but <laughs> I would just like pick it up and turn it on and just kind of like lens around my apartment. Yeah. Like things that same. just make you want to keep working with it. Yeah. I did the same when I reviewed the C 500 Mark II. I was just, I had like two prime lenses and I, that was it. And I was, I couldn't stop shooting. Yeah. And, and that's what you remember everyone we are here to enjoy it. we're not working in cubicles or in offices yeah because you know we want to see the world and we want to have fun doing it yeah well and to to bring up a point about uh 
like, I guess your job versus my job. Cause I primarily do commercials and, um, not really any narrative, but commercials, fashion shoots, you know, some corporate stuff, whatever. Um, the things that make documentary filmmaking easier make narrative filmmaking easier. True. Like I, this idea that like, oh, only a, um, the only true way to shoot a commercial is if you've got an AC pulling focus. Okay, maybe. But if the only thing that needs to be in focus is the person's face and it's well lit, like the C500, the FX9, FX6 probably, the C300, C70, um, I'm sure all these cameras, uh, not Blackmagic, sorry, um, all have great eye uh, face tracking autofocus, eye tracking in some cases. Yes. You know, like, lean on that. Like, because at the end of the day, like, time is money. And especially in something like documentary, like, you can't, you can't do a retake. No. So you need to nail it the first time. And so if somebody is out there, like, I always say, I learned a lot from listening to a talk with... Um, Zach Zamboni, who was the cinematographer of yeah. of all of um, uh, Anthony Bourdain's shows. Yeah, Parts Unknown, right? Yeah, and so he did this big talk at a um, some event, and he was talking about all the things that made his job easier because Bourdain was huge on on cinematic um, sort of nods. You know, he wanted his whole show to look like a a, a movie. He didn't want it to look like a documentary, so. I learned a ton from listening to Zach talk about all the little things that they had set up to make sure they got it the first time correctly, you know? You know, and, and that's, I mean, I think just about, I'm kind of jumbling on my words here. I think people th- sometimes think like some formal video journalism, photo journalism, and film are different, but you still got to get it right. And you yeah. don't get much time. And the pressure is pretty much the same, you know? Yeah, from from the camera operator's perspective, it's basically the same exact thing. The difference between film and documentary is literally just like planning and maybe with film you you consider angles a little more heavily and lighting a little more heavily. And and you can lean on your your colleagues to help you you know achieve are a lot bigger, yeah. yeah. Um but I will suggest if someone is new to this to just start shooting and document yeah. a quick and easy way a lot of people need like a documentary stop commercial or promo piece and um developing that eye is is i think very easy to do and fun to do before you have the stress of a big set no 100 percent. that's literally when i uh i took a break so i went to film school basically my whole life uh you know various versions of it both in college and in um high school and you know everywhere in between and then after that i i kind of stopped making video movies or films or whatever and worked for red bull and i thought i was going to do that for my whole life and then i didn't and then so when i came back i needed to put a reel together so i went around like to my favorite restaurants and was like hey can i do a story about your restaurant or or um my buddy was a uh, uh um projectionist at usc and so i filmed him describing how what a projectionist does and the great thing about making little mini documentaries like that is one they're usually very interesting but two your story is written so to speak yeah. like you don't have to you don't have to necessarily like if you can just you know f8 and be there as they used to say <laughs> um you can potentially put together something really interesting and it's yeah. it's brilliant practice and it's it's relatively inexpensive to do you know, 
that kind of makes me think about the Sony FX6 right now. And mm-hmm. I know it sounds like a strange leap, but I when I took that camera out, I just started filming um, the greenway behind my house. And I, I met this pilot who was ended up in my review video, and he was just enjoying being outside and finally seeing someone other than you know his forest walls from his apartment. Right. And, and he just, I mean, I, I had this moment like I could make something on him. I could interview him right here and right now and do something special. Granted, coronavirus and stop me from doing that because he's older than he's he was you know retirement age yeah but just you never know when a story is going to be and i just remember that moment that that camera was there it was able to do what i needed it to do and i could have seized that moment i didn't i kind of regret i didn't but yeah um again that's another thing we talked about that camera had what i needed it was easy it was fast and it was fun yeah and actually, I kind of wanted to ask you about that, because speaking of just the idea of like what's good for documentaries, good for film, when you are shooting interviews, um, I guess like two questions. One, um, how much B-roll are you actually gathering? Because B-roll is something that I think the the younger generation is a little confused on what it actually is. Um, a lot of a lot of A-roll I'm seeing here. Uh, and then also, like, how do you set up um you know, lighting, how, 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 uh, cognizant are you of getting, you know, a pretty picture maybe over just getting the image and going? Um, and how do you set that up? Like, how do you, how do you move quickly and not make it uncomfortable for the subject by going like, hold on, I got to move this reflector. Hold on. We got to put the microphone in the, you know, or I got to move over here. That, you know, that's, that's a really tough question because each situation debates and it dictates what the amount of time you have to set up and sometimes the interviewee just wants it done and so you have to you get very good at having people step out of a overhead light that's making them look garish and like lights above them and make it and turn into backlight you know there's like simple tricks of if you're in a fluorescent you know room or hallway you just you can just you can make good lighting by finding the lighting that's already there. Yeah. So that's that's the first thing you learn, and because you have to make so many compromises, then you you kind of develop a conversational style when you first meet someone, to be not unappro- not rude or obtrusive, but kind of getting a little bit of time for yourself to set up what you want so it can look right. Good. And, and they want to give you the time, too, but they think you just need 10 minutes and you might need 30. Right. And 30 minutes in my world to set up an interview is a lot of time. Um, now, if I do a network interview, it's two hours. And in two hours, is that's different. That is, you have a second cameraman there, you have a sound man, you probably have a gaffer or a PA, and you're blocking and setting it up for the idea that the subject and the interviewer are going to sit down, do the interview, and leave mm-hmm. unobtrusively. Like you're not even, you're essentially not even there. You're not there to interrupt. And once it started, it started, it's over. But for for the quick day turns, um, you might rely on a reporter, you might rely on a producer to kind of help you slip in some extra time to set up. And you might learn a, a style of self depreciating. It's like, hey, if you let me set this up, Maybe I can be a better photographer and make you look gooder, look gooder, look uh-huh. better. But you know, you find you just got to find a way. And sometimes people are going to be very accepting for you to throw up at Aperture 300 and you know a soft box and make them look good. And sometimes yeah. someone's 
need to go right now. And and the stress I would give is you got to find the light. And that includes using a polarizer, use your eyebrow. If you have a matte box, those two are the two biggest tools that make any situation that looks poor look better. And then you need to really like position people. It sounds crazy, but a lot of a lot of what I do is just moving people around so they look good. Yeah. And, and then then if you get the chance to sit down lighting, then then just you need to bring the bare minimum. Don't bring too much because you don't you don't want to frighten them. If you have too much stuff up, you might they might get quiet and nervous and and overthink it and not give your producer or reporter the information you need in an emotional way. Yeah. And I will say a lot of times we want the camera really close because we like the way it looks. Um, but for what I do, for every 10 feet I give someone, I get 10 times the truth. And, Interesting. Uh, and you, you got to give them a little space. You know, I, I've um, similar thought. I did a lot of concert shooting and a lot of music stuff um, back in the day. And of course, you know, if, if a band is performing on stage and you're right up in their grill, that is a that is a view that no one gets. And it's very compelling. But you might throw off the band or the rapper or whoever. And like that is not your job. No, you you are not there to ruin it for everyone who paid to be there. Yeah. Um, and I've seen like especially the earlier stuff that I shot, like I kick myself over and over when I can I can think of specific clips where like the guy's singing and then it's just a quick like he's he's holding the microphone in front of his face and there's this quick eye twitch towards me like where he's just I, he's keeping me in his perif but I can tell that he's aware of me now and that in that moment you're taking the artist out of their out of their flow and that's you cannot do that yeah and it takes you out of your flow as a because now you, as an operator, you've now second-guessed where you should be, and you're essentially out of position. Yeah. And, you know, I think when we see big concerts and we see great concert videos or documentaries, a lot of times you see that camera's on a remote head, and that yep. takes that viewership away. That viewership's very difficult for people to get used to, that voyeurism. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, that's why we have that's why we pay hosts and actors all this money, because it do so well. And the cameras three feet from them um, because they have a little bit of the exhibitionist in them that wants to be seen and show off. But not yeah. everyone's like that. Actually, most people don't want to show off, especially just folks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, folks, don't. Try, try I think everyone and try to get Say people again? to talk. Try, try going to the Midwest and try to get people to talk with the camera close. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And I think I think people if I'm if I'm going to be a little like um, armchair psychologist, I think everyone wants to be celebrated, but I don't think anyone wants to be exposed. And I think you if you ask someone to speak their mind, they are more likely to feel like they're being exposed, especially today, than they are being celebrated. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and people so guarded these days. Yeah, I, they should. I and mean, what they say is being amplified more than we can imagine. Yeah, and the it, internet's forever. It is. It's forever. Yeah. So let's. We've kind of gone off. This, we've we've left cameras aside here, but uh, I want to talk about one camera. Okay. That um, this is a hard turn. I want to talk about Sony A7S Mark III. All right. The Washington Redskins. Oh yes. Okay. Cool. 
Because that camera, you made me think about how close the cameras, like when we do interviews, that camera combination doing, I don't know if anyone knows this. Do you know what game it was? I think it was recently. That it was, yeah, it was like two days ago. Two days ago, they're playing at home, I believe, and the, the usual steady cam operator was a gimbal operator with a Sony A7S Mark III. And so full frame, you know, it wasn't a B4 style production camera. Super shallow depth of field. Super shallow depth of field. And to me, it clearly looked, he looked like he was using autofocus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That view was, it looked like a video game. I it looked. It literally looked like a, a Madden cutscene. Like so, for the for those of you who didn't see it, essentially, like I'll, I'll name one shot that I saw. Uh, I believe there was a touchdown, or like a, a dude ran out of bounds, or whatever. Uh, and the team is sort of like you know giving him pats on the helmet and stuff. And this camera operator, who's on a, just a regular stick style gimbal, I think, just yeah. is up. It, I mean, he might as well have been one of the players. He was up in their face and they're, you know, stoked about it. I think football players are less likely to be, you know, football players run to cameras. Um, so they're probably less likely to be bothered by his presence. But uh, yeah, it looked it was so different from and it wasn't like that bright sort of sports look. It was sort of subdued as well. And it just immediate. I thought it was a Madden cutscene. I thought I, it was on Reddit that I saw it, and I thought people were putting in Madden cutscenes as a joke. Like, <laughs> oh, look at this, you know, because I, I don't really follow football that much, so I didn't realize that like they were still playing even. <laughs> but like that, that caused a stir. Yeah, and and it brings about something, and I think people who are in charge of productions and that we're in coronavirus and budgets are small and people working in small crews is, is they're just trying to find a way to put someone in there with a camera that's not expensive, not overly expensive. Yeah. And I don't want to, maybe I shouldn't say that because there's a lot of steady cam operators out there who do great work who are, who can be afford, obviously the NFL can afford, it, afford them, no doubt. But here's yeah. someone that found a different way and maybe found a little niche for himself. And, you know, this is the year to find a niche for yourself. Yeah. You know, and like you said earlier, like before we start recording, you're, you're someone who mostly shoots, but you've been doing a lot of coloring and editing this year too, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. It's been, um, it's been interesting cause, and honestly live streaming too, but, uh, I'm just sort of a, uh, I have a lot of nerdy habits. Um, I, you know, I don't necessarily, I'm one of the lucky ones who turned my hobby into a career. So, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter what I'm doing. I, I like it. So editing, color correction, shooting. Um, and you can't put yourself out as a generalist because then immediately no one takes you seriously. Like, if you ask me, what are you? I'm like, I'm a cinematographer. Like, if you're going to hire me, if you're going to pick up the phone and call me, you're calling a cinematographer. But I did have a couple friends, you know, who were just wrapped on documentaries and needed color work or... You know, uh, my friend, well, he's an acquaintance, but I, I suppose we're friends now, uh, owns this cocktail group called Death & Co. And they've, you know, been struggling because they got three restaurants in in uh, New York, Dallas, or, uh, New York, Denver, and L.A. And no one can go to them. And so I'm like, hey, you know, maybe if you trade me some of your, you know, pre-made cocktails, I can run a live stream for you. We can try to raise some money or whatever, you know, um, little things like that and reaching out to friends and seeing how I can be of assistance to them because um, I'm 
especially this year, I felt that like if I had the means, I was pretty lucky. Like I have an online store that did kind of well. And um, so I had extra. I didn't have to be as stressed out about uh, where my next paycheck was coming from. So I just sort of paid it forward and was trying. I mean, I'm still getting paid for these jobs, but (laughs) uh, (laughs) but, you know, at the same time, I was I was more reaching out to others and being like, how can I help you get what you need done or, or, um, how can, you know, we, we get money into your business or how, you know, any of that kind of thing. You know, you're talking about live streaming. I feel like live streaming has might've saved a lot of people's small production company this year. Yep. And I think, you know, once the, the seal has been broken, live, the, you know, it's going to be there forever. And, those who have embraced live streaming as part of their business plan as something they offer. Um, I feel like there's there more people going to ask for it from here on out. It might not be the main thing after coronavirus and vaccines and everything's all done, but it might be the thing that comes with everything. I, I think so too. And I, I'm going to, I know I've, I've like halfway written an article about this, about like how to have a really well done live stream. Um, but the kind of the big things are like if you're if you have a camera, you have lighting equipment, you have audio equipment, you can do a live stream. Just yeah. set it up the exact same way that you would do your normal shoot. But then the thing that you also need is um, a computer that is powerful enough to decode that image and stream it and yeah. an Internet connection that's solid enough. I've worked with too many people this year who thought that they could stream on a Chromebook or a MacBook Air, and it did not work. You can get away with the MacBook Pros even going. I think you were saying the 2011 you were able to um, yeah. do some okay work. Uh, a friend of mine was doing uh, a stream on his 2013 MacBook Pro. I won't recommend those, though. Get, like, the newest best you can. But yeah. hardwired Internet... And then you just get that HDMI to USB adapter that we've talked about a bunch. Um, you can find them online. To get get the cheap one. Uh, I'm not going to point any. <laughs> I almost got in trouble last time for naming names, so I'm just going to say you can find it. Um, buy if you can find the one that's twenty dollars yep. or more. I would possibly buy two because in our world, one is not, is none. Two is one, and three is backup. Yeah. Yeah, you know, two is one, one is none is always the thing I've heard. Yeah, and you know that's a great use of that technology. There's also a lot of cameras that you can plug in straight away and live stream with. The Sony FP is one of them. Mm. Now, a lot of people bought this camera to be a director's viewfinder. A lot of rental house houses, houses have them. If you're doing a simple live you mean stream... The, the Sigma FP? Sigma, yeah. What did I say? Uh, Sony. Sony, I'm sorry. Sony, Sony, I'm sorry. Sigma, I'm sorry. The Sigma FP. <laughs> Good lord. Um, too many. I mean, cameras. Sigma came out of left field with that. When's the last time they made a camera? Oh, I know. And and it immediately built in to a, a web cam output. Um, that was just just happened to work. Kind of like the ATM Mini output for uh, webcasting worked on the Switcher. And. Yeah. Talk about leaning. Talk about someone leaning into the times. Blackmagic has leaned into its web streaming um, more than any other business that I've seen this year. Offering what four or five five different options. Yeah. For you between their ATM Mini, the ATM Mini Pro, ATM Mini ISO, the live, the video assist, 12G, five inch and seven inch. You can 
use the USB out to live stream with those as well if you wanted to. Wow. Um, but the Sigma FP was the first camera that I know that immediately had it, and you could plug and go, and it was great. It's a great yeah. camera. If you have it as a director's viewfinder, you can use it as such for your interviews. And I think this is something we need to think about. When is the next time you think you can have an in-person interview for a gig? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so if you're interviewing on Zoom or Skype or FaceTime, well, guess what? I think it's time you need to up whatever they're seeing. If it's your laptop computer camera, you're, you're, I promise you someone else they're interviewing has lit it and done it up the way it should be and to impress them with what with what they can do. What, I'm do the so I'm so glad you said that because I literally just did this. Uh, <laughs> I set up, I had, um, I guess you probably don't, uh, maybe I put it on Twitter, but you know, there's like a photo of me in, it's my room, but, um, uh, and it looks really like lit and kind of, I don't know if you saw it. Um, but anytime I do any like two camera stuff, I'm always testing things. So I was like testing the lights, testing a new mic I got, blah, blah, blah. But then I just, like I said, I hooked up the HDMI to USB and just told Zoom to use that my C500 and my Newman KM185 mic. And uh, the guy gets on Zoom. And the first time we talked, I didn't even have the webcam set up. So the second time here, he goes, he like looks up and he goes, oh, look, we've got a, oh my God, honey, come here. Come look at Kenny's Zoom. <laughs> Calls his wife over. She's like, oh my God. And I was pitching them on on them letting me uh, run a live stream for them. And there you go. Sold. Done. Yeah. No, it was like the second my image came up, he went, all right, well, that's that answers that question. Yeah. And I feel like this is I mean, we may be past all this next year. Who knows? But for years to come, a producer and wherever is going to call someplace else looking for a DP. And the first thing they, they're going to do is zoom you. Yep. And so take these skills, grow with them, learn them and learn it. No, and most cameras, you can find a way to get it in to your computer. Yeah, and another thing too, if like um, you don't have to use the uh, well with Zoom, you just have to use Zoom. Uh, technically, you can port OBS into Zoom, which that's like a whole nother level if you really want to go there. But um, if you download OBS, it's a free software. Uh, you can identify individual inputs into for audio or visual. You can apply filters to your audio. Um, if you have any VSTs, you know, I'll put a compressor, I'll put a denoiser, uh, an EQ, um, you know, a vocal writer so that my um, volume always comes in at the same level. Uh, all that kind of stuff can be loaded into OBS and go out. So if you're running a live stream, um, which I've been doing recently with this uh, group, Faded Comedy, it's all over Zoom, which is obnoxious, but... You, I've learned a lot of little tricks that like, you know, filtering stuff out and making multiple um, instances of Zoom so that I, each person technically has their own sort of camera. And then I just build little overlays in Photoshop that go over them and that kind of thing. Um, you can get really creative in the live streaming stuff with how little you're given yeah. and, and create an impact for your client. You know, this year is about making it work. And that's one way you can creatives can really make it work and the skills they're going to take for years to come i believe well kenny i have reached a time where i need to jump off this podcast that is fine we did a full what 45 minutes or so well five minutes we we didn't touch on every single camera but here's the message i think we both can agree on there are no there are all great cameras this year you're not going to be disappointed by any one of them yep 
just yep. you know look at look at the bit rate you know that's kind of important these days i wouldn't go for an 8 bit but yep. 10 12 solid you know 422 after that xlrs nds autofocus if you can get a raw codex sick but honestly like every camera's great yeah you just I could, find out I what's use any make, of them what's going to make your life easy and doesn't cost because the true cost of camera is always like media and everything that comes with it and so make sure to measure you know like look at a camera and see like what are you going to need to go with it and those accessories may push that camera that low price camera into a higher realm where another camera makes better sense yeah i mean c300 you know cfast card or cf express cards are 600 dollars a pop but c70 similar image sd cards yeah you know yeah and if you know if you can but make no that for you for and earn a living, then you do do not let someone peer pressure you into something else. Yeah, don't let the internet tell you what camera you should get. Just you know, if you think you're gonna like it, you probably are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kenny, thank you for chatting with me. Yep, thank you for having me. And I hope you have a Merry Christmas. Yeah. You too, <laughs> bud. Okay. You stay safe, okay? Yeah, you too.